There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people look. They're absolutely astonished at it. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, it, there are some mornings that you sort of open the microphone here at five past nine and you wonder what you're going to say because there's been and even though it's not in our county uh, or in our city it's just over the border in our neighbouring county in one of the most stunningly beautiful parts of our whole country and there are very few beaches in Ireland to match Ballybunion there are very few beaches in Europe to match the beauty of Ballybunion and uh, it's a place I haven't been for a number of years but I love that part of Kerry and this unspeakable tragedy that unfolded last evening where a brother and sister and the pieces of a story like this tend to pull themselves together over a period of hours the tragedy happens and then you wonder who it is and what was their relation to each other turns out they were brother and sister what it appears to be who are from the west of Ireland It appears that he got in difficulty, she went to help, they both drowned, Uh, he and his family were visiting Ballybunion, she had come home, we think, from Malmo in Sweden to be with them for the holiday, that's the local speculation, and it's all over your newspapers this morning, Daily Mail says, swimming horror on Kerry Beach, man and woman have drowned in Kerry after one maiden heroic effort to save the other the examiner siblings drown on Kerry Beach Old English has that story there front of the mirror brother and sister drown in holiday horror and it's in all of your newspapers this morning it's an unspeakable tragedy and, and no doubt the drowning tragedy of the summer so far 
and uh, we think of those affected. We think in particular of what we think was a son or daughter or at least a relative of one of the two who watched the whole thing unfold helplessly. Watched it unfold. Our thoughts would be with every single one of them today and everyone connected to them. And we just hope that nothing like this would ever be visited on any of our own families. Good morning to you. Friday morning, we like to start with something happy on a Friday, but just not possible today. However, maybe it is because locally we averted a tragedy uh, this week. Uh, Olin Quinlan joins me from Funky Town Adventure Centre in Fountainstown. Olin, what happened? These two people got trapped and then tried to swim to safety. Is that it? Good morning. Yeah, good morning, PJ. Um, I suppose, first of all, condolences to... The families of those brother and sister it's absolutely horrific um so yeah he, it was two days ago there um we were we're funky down adventure center we're in, we're in fountain sound so we were just um sitting up in the house and yeah. one of the lads we know all the coast guard and the owner like when the lads from the coast guard came up to us um and he said there was um a couple and seemed like they were in a bit of trouble so Fountainstone bay um on the other side i don't know do people know yeah. you ring a bella um, tide comes in very quick and found down you're cut off um, yeah. so there's these two people were they were kind of they said they were rock climbing um, one of them was a very good swimmer uh, and the other one wasn't is this um, what you might call or what people might know um Olin as the back beach as in you've the main Fountainstone beach itself that everybody goes to and then you go up around the corner around the hill and there's the rear beach there the back beach there is is that that's where you're talking about isn't it yeah, well, it's a bit further over, just the back beach, and then it's cut off by a river, and you ring a bella. Yes. Um, which is only accessible by the road. So they were making their way back from ring a bella. Um, tide was in, they said they'd swim it. Um, so the fella, he's swimming away. Um, the girl was, she wasn't a great swimmer, so she he had her on her back and was swimming most of the way. It's about two or 300 metres now, so it's, it is a bit crazy. Um, tide, like... I we got a, I got a call. Uh, me and Paddy were sitting there up above, and we got a call. So um, I just paddleboarded out. We've two rescue boats on standby the whole time, fountain stuff yes. um, for our own kids' camps and for our own activities. So I just went out, um, and it was like they they were a good bit over. They were nearly halfway there, um, but you can see that the girl was pretty tired. So I just shot over. Um, there was two kayakers. I suppose I'm not taking taking all the credit. Two kayakers were with her or with the couple, and um, they were following them for about 15 minutes. Um, and I kind of saw the kayakers were kind of saying, I came over and thought that she looked okay, but the kayakers were like, no, no, look, you, she's, she's, she's kind of struggling. Cause, mm. um, she was obviously struggling a bit further out. So yeah, I just pulled her onto the boat um, and dropped her back to the, the front beach there. Mm. Um, so it, like, it, it is like every year, like last year now, there, there was, um, well, the Ornelay are unbelievable now around by us, but like focusing with the, the mass of people you're getting, um, like things are sometimes people are going to get difficult yeah. last year now the brother Paddy he, he was nearly bigger than the Kardashians and on the newspaper like um, <laughs> with, with his, him going out doing rescues you know <laughs> yeah. it is a risky spot over there isn't it Owen, or Olin rather because like you say the tide comes in around Ringabella around the back yeah. beach there as people would know it. it comes in it seems to come in very fast yeah, I suppose you have like with with like in Ireland we have nearly a four meter tidal range. So that means from low tide, it might be whatever point three, and then it might be four point three meters at high tide. So you've all this water rushing in. Like a lot of people don't know that, like 
the tide it doesn't gradually come in like it's at different speeds uh, like it takes six hours to come in but you have different speeds the mm. third and the fourth hour are the biggest it's the biggest mass of water yeah. coming in you know that's when we say the tide is coming in but the tide is always moving yeah it's always moving but it changed it, like, it's at different rates you know um and like, if you go an hour between the high tide and low tide, the water will be pretty, pretty slack, you know. But you get the the, the racing water then, um, and it depends on, on obviously the terrain and stuff. Like Fountainstone's a big estuary, so obviously there's a lot of water to come in, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's just the case. Like, like what I what I was saying to the, the girl when I pulled her on, like they they weren't from Ireland. They didn't have a clue. They didn't they didn't look for any local knowledge. They, um, you know, it was just kind of it was a punt, and like she was okay. But it could have been worse, you know, if she if she started panicking. Um, but it's just, yeah, I suppose yeah. people need to be, be aware, you it's, know. It's the awareness. And thankfully, we have had some decent weather. And it looks as if we're going to have some more decent weather next week. Water safety. And look, look, I mean, this was so lucky. These two people you were dealing with are so lucky compared to the tragedy of, of Bally Bunyan. But we can't overstate the importance of water safety, can we, Olin? No, hundred percent. And like in Fountain Sound, we have um, we've the lifeguards. Um, we've like we've we we run um, kayaking and paddleboarding where we fellas on the beach the whole time. So like a huge thing would be, I suppose, local knowledge. So if if you're going to a new a new beach or unsure, um, like every every beach has its own hazard. If you're unsure, find get local knowledge before you try anything kind of out of the ordinary. Like these people tried. They're swimming back now. Was I wouldn't even do it myself, and I'd be a good swimmer. Um, you know, it, it was just kind of kind of mad. Like they got cut off, and, and you know, they're like, "Oh, we 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 get back." Like, but the the, the risk doesn't like the reward doesn't outweigh the risk. You know, I understand what um, you mean, and it's a lot. It, it's a lot longer swim than it looks, particularly if you're not a great swimmer. Big time, oh, big time, yeah, yeah. It's the old going back to the old father Ted. Like those cows aren't small; they're far away. You know, when, when you're looking at. <laughs> Looking across the water, it looks grand, like. But then once you start, it's not. Yeah. It's, uh, it also gets deep, know, so you can't walk either. Yeah, and at one stage, when I when I was um, out with the girl, she she started standing. She's like, "Oh, I'm grand," and the water was up to her neck. But like with the with the terrain up the back beach, like you have the sandbanks. But then you also, as you come closer to the shore, there's actually a bit of a dip in it. You know? Yes, there is. And that's that's when that's when it'll get you because she she'd be basically. She feels like she she'd be fine when standing, and then she'll walk and she'll go down a little, maybe a foot or two, and she'll be won't be able to stand again. That's where panic sets in. Then you know. Yeah, it is. It is. All right, Olin. Listen, I hope you're having a good season down at Funky Funky Town. The, the 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 good weather's helping, isn't it? The good weather is helping. Yeah, like things. So if you're getting back on track now, like the last week, it's been kind of, it's been touch and go. Um, but yeah, we're hoping we're hoping for a good good end of the season. Now we've got three or four big weeks coming up. Yeah. Um, I suppose any, anyone who's listening and wants to know what we're doing, you can just go to our Instagram page, Funky Town Rocks, um, and we've loads of different things between kids' camps and, and different paddles, you know. As a matter of interest, what's the water temperature like at the moment? The water temperature, it's it's taking a bit of, I'd say it's about 16 degrees at the moment, maybe 17. It took right. a bit of a dip in the last week or two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, uh, you know, like we might as well make the best of the it summer can now. Warm up so, a little uh, bit in August, so here's hoping. Here's hoping. All here's, right, here's Olin, Thank you. Thanks ever so much, Olin Quinlan. Uh, runs the wonderful Funky Town Adventure Centre right there on the beach at Fountainstone. Uh,
that was a, a narrow escape for those two people. If you're going to any beach at all and you're not familiar with it, just check with someone. Talk to a lifeguard. Talk to someone with a local business. Talk to someone who's doing things like kayaks or wetsuits or whatever. They'll tell you where you can and where you can't go. Actually, speaking of Fountainstown, I don't think I did this when it happened. And if I did and you heard me, then I apologise for repeating it. But I was delighted for my pal Angela, who has Angela's... Uh, shop in Fountainstown. She's had it there since 1900 and frozen to death. But Angela was named there in the last couple of months as uh, one of the monthly Cork Person of the Year award winners and I was delighted to see it. Absolutely delighted. I must get down to her for a slice of ice cream and a cup of coffee at some stage during the month of August. Big day next Tuesday, August 9th. That is the day we will announce the winners of the Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards for 2022. There's also a €5,000 media campaign with Cork's 96 FM up for grabs. So stay tuned and stay listening to see if your favourite one in their category. Thousands and thousands of you voted in all of our categories. And the Best of Cork Awards in 2022 announced next Tuesday with localheroes.ie your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much, much more only brought to you by Cork's 96FM. Have you tried to buy a second hand car lately or even to buy a new car? There's, There's two separate issues. There's a huge shortage of new cars and the price of second hand cars has gone right up. Uh, Transport and motoring journalist Connor Faulkner joins me to discuss a few elements of this. Connor, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Hello. Good. Let's start with the price of second-hand cars, higher mm. than they've been for a long, long time. Why? Yeah, the couple of reasons. They've gone up, um, they're actually up about 60% across them. Now, it depends on the car, um, but they're hugely more expensive than they were pre-pandemic. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that, and they are connected, really. The first is one you talked about there. There's a shortage of new cars, and that's basically because production lines have slowed down across the continent of Europe because of um, you know, the supply of essential parts, etc. We had the pandemic followed by the disruption in the Ukraine, and that has physically slowed down the arrival of new cars. So the lack of availability of new cars immediately puts pressure on second hand, and we've seen that happen. But the other big one is the difference that Brexit has made on importing cars from the UK. Right. Um, Because, you know, for years, quite a significant number of cars were, second hand cars were imported from the UK or from Northern Ireland. Now, it was always a complicated thing to do, but if you knew what you were doing, and if, you know, particularly if you were buying an expensive car, uh, you could, you could, get a decent saving doing that. Yeah. Uh, now, that saving is less available now. Um, the sterling has got stronger. The VAT rules are tougher. And Post-Brexit, while you can still do it, it's a more complicated undertaking to bring in a car from the UK. Yeah. A friend of mine did and it a few years ago, drove up the north, bought a car, bought a lovely car, yeah. brought it home, and there was a bit of paperwork involved. What has changed well, VAT is now charged um, even on second hand. You see, we were never truly in the single market for cars. We have this contrivance called vehicle registration tax, which we actually you know, sold to the EU 20 years ago because we didn't want to be part of that single market because uh, we wanted to keep taxing cars. So we have registration tax, which you must pay on import, um, and, and that has to be added to UK prices. And we've also had the sterling change since Brexit. Sterling is actually significantly stronger against the euro than it was a couple of years 
years ago, paradoxically, as both fall against the dollar. Uh, and the other thing is the uh, additional VAT charges that apply. Now, there are also complications, which is why if you are bringing a car in from the UK, you really know what you ha- have to know what you're doing. That because of the Brexit changes, there's a difference between a car that was re- registered in the UK in the first instance, and you're now importing to Ireland, and one that was previously imported into the UK and is now being exported again. So oh, bewildering complications, but they could add that that additional one could add a 10% customs duty to the car. And you have to, when you arrive in Ireland, you have to declare the car to customs and you've 30 days to pay all the various taxes. Now the, the revenue are actually very helpful in that regard for calculating your VRT and all of that. But all of these things are additional obstacles and additional cost. So if you say to yourself, Irish second-hand cars, much too expensive in Cork, I'm not going to buy in Cork, I'm going to go and buy in Wales and I'll bring it in. That, that was more feasible a couple of years ago than it is now. Yeah. So that, you know, that supply of second-hand cars is being tightened up as well. So shortage of new cars, uh, a shortage of second-hand cars, therefore, in Ireland, and Brexit complications. And, and a reason why it could get worse before it gets better, PJ, is that over the last couple of years during the pandemic, we we sold relatively few new cars in Ireland. New car sales were down a bit. And of course, today's new car is a car that's going to be in the second-hand market in three, four, five, seven years' time. So the pipeline isn't being filled either. So all of those things in in combination. Come back to me on the VRT. I read an article Mm. in the last couple of days, an interesting one, that said that VRT, as it by itself is making Ireland an unattractive market for new cars, particularly as opposed to the UK, where we both drive on the same side of the road, Ireland is far less attractive to the makers and sellers of new cars at the moment. Well, yes and no. I mean, it is true that the a, a car is more expensive in Ireland because of local taxes. Car manufacturers calculate on the basis of the metal price plus what the market will bear. So the metal price is what it costs the manufacturer to make the car. And that's the same whether the car is going to London or going to Cork um, or going to Copenhagen or, or Munich. Right. And so that's the metal price. What the, what, the, what the makers will then do is they'll calculate what the market will bear. So they know in Ireland what the market will bear you know, even with Irish taxes. So funnily enough, a a pre-tax car is actually cheaper in Ireland than it is in the UK, paradoxically. But once the taxes are paid, yeah, I know. And, and, you know, car manufacturers just, you know, do do what they do. I mean, they're they're looking to maximise profit, etc. So in a high taxation market like Denmark, uh, uh, like Ireland, they will do their best to squeeze down the metal price uh, so they can still sell their cars. Uh, um, So it it is true that VRT makes cars more expensive here. and the fact that we're right-hand drive, same as the UK, that that does mean that we're sort of, uh, you know, we're we're last on the list when 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 strategic decisions are being made by by global car manufacturers because we're so small. Uh, we, we, you know, if the UK wants cars and global manufacturers supply them, um, the immediate consequence of that is more cars being available for us. Um, and and it, you know, if the UK market is less buoyant and car manufacturers are therefore less likely to produce for it. Because we're also right-hand drive, yeah. we we suffer the consequence of that. I, I'm I'm still sort of trying to take in your last comment that the yeah. pre-tax price 
of a car here yeah. is less than the pre-tax price. Yeah, you know, when, when, when you take two identical cars rolling off a production line in Cologne or somewhere in France, uh, uh, you know, the cost of the, to the manufacturer at that stage is identical. Um, what will determine what the local consumer pays is uh, is local taxes. So in the UK, there's relatively modest local taxes. There's there's a smaller rate of VRT, or sorry, there's a smaller rate of VAT, and VRT doesn't exist at all. Uh, whereas in Ireland, you have those additional taxes, and they add about about between them, VRT varies, but about between them, about say 20-25% to the price that the consumer will pay. The manufacturer knowing that, um, as I say, the, the, the metal price, the pre-tax price, um, will regularly be cheaper in Ireland than it is in the UK, even though the consumer pays more at the end. Yeah. How are we still getting away with <laughs> VRT? Well, you know, it happens in lots... Uh, yeah, well, VRT was a Swiss. VRT was an Irish exemption to the single European market. Market. Those who were long enough in the tooth will remember that we voted to enter the single market in in, in one of our European referenda. Um, but the Irish government almost immediately thereafter, in 1993, I think it was, um, secured the exemption whereby you know we, we were not in a single market for vehicles. If we were, our our excise duty would have become illegal. Um, so instead, we basically changed excise duty to a tax on the registration plate. Uh, and that tax on the registration plate, or VRT, has been in existence ever since. So it, it, it was an Irish evasion of the single European market obligations created VRT, and we still have it now. Uh, I'd love to see the back of it. I can't see it happening no, anytime it's soon. Too much early, really. Well, it is and it isn't because it kind of suppresses demand. But yes, obviously, it, it is a, a chunky earner for government. And what they'll do with it in the long run is what they do with other taxes that are unpopular. They'll give it an environmental brand name. Uh, where do you see it? It'll, it'll be called. It'll be called, you know, carbon consumption tax uh, or something uh, like that. Because who could who could be against that? And away we will keep paying. They do the same on fuel. I mean, the you know, excise duty on fuel is sort of gradually being replaced by uh, or renamed as carbon tax. Make a blind bit of difference to you and I when we buy the stuff. Um, but, but at least it has a label that, that helps government sell it. So, you know, th- those sort of cynical manoeuvres were ever thus. And I guess before we get too cynical, when we say government, you know, that's that's Ireland Inc., isn't it, PJ? Ah, yeah, you know, ah, we yeah. do. No, no, I, 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 the history of VRT, I, I bought my first car pre VRT, so I know exactly about the history of VRT and what it did to price. Yeah. Actually, two things before I let you go. On the, on the side of the road issue, there is a TikTok mm. hashtag to change the side of the road we drive on at the moment. Sweden did it, I think. <laughs> I mean, do you think there's any Sweden chance... Di- well, the short the short answer is no, and not because of us. Sweden did do it back in the 60s. Um, massive undertaking, but, you know, hey, they did it. Uh, for us to do it here in Ireland would not be feasible for loads and loads of reasons. I wrote a piece about it once, actually, the origins of it, etc. <laughs> um, but it's not just us and the Brits. Uh, so the Indians also have the same convention, and there's a, over no, a billion they, of they, them. They drive and, in the shade, Connor. They drive in the shade. Yeah, well, exactly. And the other one, very importantly, is Japan, oh. uh, which independently came up with the same convention. So it's not actually just us and the Brits. It's about 20% of the world population. And the reason why we don't change is that just, the, you know, the, the, the remedy is worse than the disease. The, the, the sheer physical scale of doing it, we would obviously have to do it in coordination with the Brits. And if we decided to do it together, um, you know, everything from the road signs, all the buses would have doors that opened into the middle of the road. Uh, you know, for, for, for a generation and more, you'd have both types of vehicles yeah. on the road simultaneously. You can see, you can see the hurdles. Yeah. 
the hurdles to it. Yeah, the cost again, of, India yeah. and Japan have massive markets, though, to support it. Come back to me lastly on one more thing, and that is the yeah. price of petrol and diesel. I'm noticing, mm. noticing it put, dropping by a cent or two uh, to yeah. like 195, 197. Now, we know that on the crude market, the crude market has stabilized. So, so where are it we going here? Well, it is trending down. And, and, you know, if you look at the guys selling petrol and diesel in Ireland, the service stations, often independent franchises, legally able to set their own price. There is reasonable price competition for the consumer in Ireland. We're still talk, we're stuck with high oil and stuck with high taxes. But, but on top of those, we have reasonable price competition. So the oil price through the exchange rate broadly gets passed on fairly to the Irish consumer. So you can see that when the oil price comes down, we, we expect that to come through to the pumps, and broadly speaking, it does. Um, but still stuck with massive taxes and still stuck with a high oil price and therefore still stuck with high prices at the pumps. But I never thought I'd see the day when we said two quid a litre looked cheap. Um, but, no, but, you know, to be fair, if, if you look at the exchange rate, the wholesale price and the price of a barrel of oil and you put those into the hopper and you look then at what's happening to retail prices in Ireland, actually retail competition in Ireland is, is, is pretty good. Not bad. You know, the, the consumer is getting what's available in terms of low prices. But... There's a ceiling, there's a floor below which your prices will not drop because of the dollar, because of oil and because of massive Irish taxes. Pre-COVID, we were looking at as low sometimes as 115 a litre. We're never going back there again, are we? Well, immediately emerging out of COVID, PJ, at one stage, oil was negative in value. The value of a barrel of oil dropped below zero. Mm. You literally had to pay people to take it off your hands. Uh, 12 months later, we've got economic recovery and then war in Ukraine and, and, the, and the barrel of oil rockets up. We're, we're, we're very, very beholden to it. Um, you know, this, this drug that humanity is addicted to um, and the damage and all that it does. But, you know, if a good thing comes out of it, 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 it will have to push us on in terms of the pace of moving away from barrels yeah. of oil to run our economies. More electrification all that, which I guess is a conversation for another day and one we will surely have. Conor Faulkner, uh, transport and motoring journalist. Thanks, Conor. They had, uh, first of all, the price of a car coming off a ship into Ireland and the price of a car coming off a ship into the UK, they're pretty much the same. We make them much dearer. Are you surprised at that? I'm not. The whole thing, too, with regard to moving from one side of the road to the other, which might sound like pie in the sky. And as Connor said, you'd have to redesign everything we've ever done. You really would. Um, would Britain do it at the same time for global competitiveness and all that? I don't know. I don't, they'd have to. Because <laughs> you'd, you'd face a situation, if, you, if they didn't, you'd face a situation where you'd be driving to Belfast and you'd start your journey on one side of the road and you'd finish it on the other. Um, if if so, they'd have to do it with us. If they didn't do it with us, you'd have carnage around Newry. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Thank you, Connor. On a motoring issue, unrelated but a motoring issue, Deborah wants to remind mums who are picking up uniforms at Buckley's in Shandon Street, put up a parking disc. I know you might only be going in for 10 minutes, but put up a parking disc or use the app. Deborah was just there with her four-year-old 
picking up uh, stuff pre-ordered, didn't see any parking sign, so didn't display a disc. I have a book of them in the car, like she... My four-year-old distracted me, and I just got pinged for an 80-euro fine in Old Marketplace. Oh, you poor woman. On top of the cost of uniforms and clothes and books and back to school, she just got pinged with an 80-euro fine for the five minutes it took to go in and collect the uniforms and the books. Actually, as regards uniforms, the lists are out now. Uh, what are the prices like? Thankfully, we don't do school uniforms in our house anymore, but what are the prices of uniforms like? Have there been any sort of common sense come to bear with regard to the price of polo shirts and pants and jumpers and jackets and shoes? Any any sense coming it coming to it at all? No? I didn't think so. Jim was on. He said, you were just talking there about VRT. Uh, this standing charge on gas and electric, that can't be justified anymore either. Uh, my milkman delivers my milk. But if I don't want any milk, then there's no charge for the service. Yes, Jim, and if you don't want to, if you turn all the lights off and don't use any electricity for a whole month, leave the house, lock the house up, and even turn off the electricity at the main switch, they'll still charge you for that month standing charge because you ha- even though you haven't been using that and they say it's down to the cost of the system tis me Nick anyway thank you Jim 0818 96 96 96 there's a shortage of taxis you don't need me to tell you this you just need to be trying to get home from town any given night of the week particularly the weekends but any given night uh, I thank myself or I thank my lucky stars more and more any time I'm in town now that I'm lucky enough that my house is served by two bus services that can lead me or leave me within 50 yards of the door but but trying to get a taxi is just becoming more and more of a nightmare uh, Michael O'Donovan uh, of the Castle Inn uh, VFI rep of course Michael this is bothering everyone your industry included good morning Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it, it's um, it's having an effect on our industry. Talking to my colleagues, um, what we're seeing is more and more people are coming out um, and they're going home earlier because they're making sure, one, that if they can't get a taxi, that they have the option, like you just said, of um, of getting the the, late, the last bus home. Um, so we're seeing, you know, especially at weekends, uh, people leaving the city and the suburbs much earlier going home. Uh, we've had instances of, um, you know, bars saying that they were trying to get taxis for people for waiting half an hour, an hour. Um, it's not uncommon to hear people saying that now at the moment. Um, and look, it's just having, as I said, a knock-on effect with people leaving the premises early and going home. Um, that they're 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 just not in town later at night at the moment. Yeah, only twenty nine percent of taxi drivers in Ireland are now working the night shift. It's not the safest job at night either, is it, Michael? No, look, I, I look. Thankfully, we haven't heard of um, you know many instances here in Cork City um, or, or Cork County. Uh, look, we're aware of there was an incident. Uh, a taxi man was attacked, I think, in Galway uh, the week before last. Um, it's not, but I, look, hopefully, you know, thankfully, 
the incidents aren't uh, aren't aren't huge. There's not a huge number of them when they take place. It's it's not great for their industry. Um, and look, we would uh, hope that people would have respect for taxi drivers because they're a vital part of transporting people around. You know, so uh, whether people want to go socially out or you know if people need to go to a hospital or whatever, the taxi is a it's a crucial piece of the of the jigsaw for us. Yeah, it also makes the streets, when they're not around, the streets are also less safe, I guess, if there are, people are wandering out into the street with a few drinks on board, trying to wave down a passing taxi. There's going to be an accident. Yeah, look, I, I see it myself, PJ. You know, I, I work most weekends. Um, when I'm going home at night time, you'd see people walking further and further out Link Road or whatever road I I go home at night time. Uh, you see a lot of people walking out further to hail a taxi that's coming back into town. And look, it's you know that can have its own challenges because when it's dark at night time, um, thankfully again it's, there's been no accidents or anything. But it's um, it's something that's been really prevalent the last couple of months. And and the apps and not to name any of them, but the na- the apps are worse than useless at two o'clock in the morning when you're trying to get a cab home. Worse than useless. Yeah, um, I've. Look, people have been saying that that uh, it's it's just hard to to find a taxi on the app. Uh, you're waiting for a while uh, for it. So yeah, people generally start walking out to to try and hail one on the way back in. Yeah, I guess a, 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 a no nonsense approach to antisocial behaviour might help. Do, do we have enough of a clampdown on that? Look, it's something that we're, I suppose, always in conversation with the Gardaí. You know, it's it, when you see the yellow vest Gardaí on the street, it, um, I think it, it really helps because people, you know, see them and they're active. Um, so, look, we're, we're always, I suppose, um, looking for more Gardaí on our streets to make the streets safer because I think when you have a Garda presence on the street, it, uh, it really helps in that scenario. Mm. The number of pubs is also decreasing, Michael. So some stats come out in the last couple of days. Cork has lost almost a third of its pubs since 2005, uh, and quite a number, obviously, throughout the pandemic, but we were losing pubs since 2005. Yeah, look, we the, the national average was, um, was just over 21%, 21.2% decline nationally, but unfortunately here in Cork, we lost 28.5% of our pubs. Uh, in that period, 2005 to 2021, um, it's 384 pubs that have gone, and it's um, look. I suppose it's for some communities, you know, the pub is the heartbeat of the community, and losing the pub, it was kind of they've lost the post office, they might have lost the shop, uh, and the pub, and you know, for a lot of them, the pub was the area that they went to for community events, fundraising, mm-hmm. nights out, you know, family gatherings. Um, and look, I suppose what we're trying to point out to the government is we're heading into a winter, you know, uh, we're facing rising costs, you know, energy costs are going to be, well, we just don't know where they're going to be, you know, mm-hmm. come the winter this year. Um, so the costs are really going up and we're facing with uh, people, you know, going out with their disposable income. Yeah. They're being more careful. So, but the, you know, but they're going to, you know, what they're doing, Michael, is, and one of the things they're doing is they're going to the offie, and even with minimum pricing, they're going to the offie and they're buying a six pack or two six packs and they're having friends over and they're buying a bottle of wine and they're having friends over because the price of drink at the counter, and I know it's all taken up with tax and all that kind of palaver, the price of drink at the counter, Michael, is outrageous. Yeah, look, we're, that's one of our asks for the government for this uh, for this budget is to cut the excise duty by 7.5%. It would cost the taxpayer 
um, 92.5 million uh, in 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 take for the exchequer, but you know it would drop the price of the of drink uh, at the counter. Do you think it'd be passed on? Um, I would hope so, uh, PJ. But like, um, what will look? We're facing into uncertain times going into this winter, and if we don't get this, you know, our fear is that we will lose more pubs because they just won't survive at the rising costs mm. and with turnover going down. So, you know, what we're asking is to to give them a fighting chance this winter to survive because look, we've gone through the last two winters through COVID. Um, lots, you know, most of us were closed for it, so there's been no revenue, you know, yeah. generated. So the fear is that a lot won't survive this winter. Okay, Michael, thanks. <coughs> Michael O'Donovan, um, VFI official, of course, and uh, owner and operator of the Castle in No Taxis Home, and pubs closing at a rate of knots. I'm just back from my holidays and I'm loath to go to a pub I will go to a pub obviously I like a pint but I, I the, the, the thoughts of paying more for a couple of pints myself and my pal or a pint and a vodka and coke for myself and the Queen Bee the thoughts of paying that for an entire round for a table uh, paying you know where I was on my holidays that's the hard part that's the hard part. The cost, the price of drink in this country is just absolutely stupid. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. You've probably heard of ketamine. I've no doubt you've heard of ketamine or K or some people call it extra K or vitamin K. Uh, it's a drug. It's a horse tranquilizer. It's a veterinary dog. But people are taking it for a high. And it seems that more and more people are taking it for a high. Reading from the examiner the last couple of days, it says ketamine is fast becoming one of Ireland's most used drugs. Almost 25% of all drug users have said, yeah, they've at least tried it, part of a new European survey. So what is it? What does it do? Why do people take it? And how dangerous is it? Michael Gearan from Coonbera, Senior Addictor, Addiction Therapist. Michael Ketamine, tell me about it. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. And ketamine, as you said there, is very often referred to as K or vitamin K or special K um, by drug users. And it's, it's a stimulant hallucinogenic um, that is taken and is very much associated with the, the party scene and very much associated with the cohort of people that we would have been have, would have been recognizable by their use of things like ecstasy and speed. So it falls into that recreational category of drugs that is kind of differentiated in a way from the type of people that we meet in our work who tend to be habitual addicts yes. or people who develop drug problems tend to use more mainstream stuff like like benzodiazepines and cocaine and heroin and that kind of thing. So it's very much associated with recreational use in settings where recreational use is a kind of a common phenomenon like music festivals, for example, and it's very prevalent amongst young people. How now, how does a, a tranquilizer, it's a horse tranquilizer, you can knock a horse out with this, how does it become a stimulant in a human being? I have no idea um, and I don't fully understand. I don't think anybody, apart from maybe the medical pr- profession, would understand the pharmacokinetics of it as to how it 
how it becomes a stimulant in humans. Um, but one of the things that users report is they report this dissociative state of hallucination where sometimes they can feel they are outside their own body. Yeah. And we meet a lot of clients in brewery that may have problems with other things, but would have seen a lot of ketamine use and may have used ketamine themselves um, mm. on occasion. And they report doing the craziest of stuff while under the influence of ketamine. So mm. when you take that into consideration and when you always take the risk with illicit substances of accidental overdose into consideration, it is indeed very dangerous. So people need to be, young yeah. people out there need to be very careful about things like yeah, this. Yeah, there's been a lot of positive coverage of it recently. I read one or two articles while I was away about it saying that, you know, in certain mental health conditions, it, it can be calming and it can be helpful. Uh, do you think people are tempted when they read stuff like that? I suppose they are, and I mean, you you do get these these anecdotal um, stories about certain drugs being helpful for certain like mood or mental health disorders. But I would imagine the only way they could be helpful is if they were used in an extremely controlled way, in the same way that a doctor would prescribe a medication. Um, and yes, you are right when people. Um, feel bad or, or feel low or feel upset and they read something like that, they would be more apt to try it if they see evidence that maybe it might be helpful for something that they're suffering from. Mm. Is it dangerous, ketamine? Yes. It, in common with all illicit drugs, it is dangerous of its own accord and it's also dangerous because of the fact it could be adulterated with a contaminant. Yes, and it could be anything in it, it could yeah. in the street. And is yeah. it addictive? Not Well, it is it is addictive in that clients have reported developing a tolerance to it and using it on a regular basis. So because it's mood-altering and because this kind of dissociative euphoric state that goes with it, um, is is attractive to people. It is addictive, absolutely. It differs. Stimulants differ slightly to to sedatives in that they don't necessarily produce great withdrawal effects. Yeah. So it's not in the same case where you would see somebody taking a sedative like heroin or benzos and they would feel a withdrawal, yeah. which would compel them to take more. But nonetheless, we have come across ketamine addicts in inverted commas who would tell us they're addicted to ketamine but not in any great quantities. They're, it tends to be more a young people, recreational kind of use. They're, they're high on, on the buzz. They're, something I heard about as well is a thing, I read the term K-hole, that you can take, you can get into this sort of a state where you, you can't move, you can't focus. You yes. Can't. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of that and I've heard of people. Um, I remember a client there a couple of years back, back, he described that like he used to kind of get locked into this situation by the use of ketamine. Um, it's it's probably from taking large quantities of ketamine that the person gets feels this kind of locked in sensation, wow. you know. So it, it's extremely dangerous, PJ. Some of the things that people do on these stimulants, including others apart from ketamine, are very, very dangerous risk-taking behaviour that can result in serious injury or potentially death. So even in the, in that respect, they are dangerous apart from the fact that the actual physical taking of them could cause you. All right. Michael, thank you. Michael Gearn, Senior Addiction Counsellor at uh, Brewery. 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I don't know who it is that runs the Glenmire Notice Board Twitter account. But good morning to you, listening to us in Lanzarote. How do I know you're in Lanzarote? Because it says TS. You didn't say where you are, but the location on your Twitter says TS, and that is in Lanzarote. So good morning to you, uh, listening to us by the pool in Lanzarote this morning. Whoever runs the Glenmire Notice Board Twitter. Happy holidays. And you can listen to us wherever you are in the world using our app, on your smartphone or on your speaker or on your tablet just download the app or ask your speaker to play Cork's 96FM enjoy your holidays I love Lanzarote enjoy them 0818 96 96 96 here at home they're looking for people to get into a seaweed bath and pose for a photograph and they'll actually pay you for it Yes, they will. Tess McGuire from Yoke Productions. Hi, Tess. What's going on here? Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? I'm great. I, doesn't that sound ideal yeah. for somebody to say, take yourself to wherever it is and put on your bathing suit because unfortunately, with the distraction of the last couple of years, I'm not beach ready and sit undisturbed in a nice Warm bath for an hour. With seaweed so, in it. With, you know, the thing is, we use bath bombs and we use bath salts and we think, oh yeah, that's a marvellous thing. But we didn't always have those. We weren't always able to go down to the corner shop. So people used what was around them just like they would of other natural remedies. And from what I understand, the seaweed baths are good for your muscles, your skin, and your stress levels. So even if it was just that last one, having the, the luxury of being able to take that nice warm bath without somebody banging on the door and looking for their socks or wanting to know are you out of there or who hit who or looked at who funny and to pay me for that oh please now, that's that's the first bit the second bit is where you do it on a pier in west cork tell me more well i don't have all the details now i did look up about the different seaweed baths and it's gotten more popular over the last few years now let's look at it honestly we have more scenery here than we know what to do with so if you can have that nice bath out overlooking the ocean or the bay or you know even the beautiful countryside 
still got to be good for you. Mm-hmm. I don't have the exact location, and I won't, unfortunately won't have to worry about it unless they say, here you go, Tess, get into your togs and <laughs> but, climb on in there. But Yoke Productions are looking for people, and this, you won't be on your own in this bath. This gets better. Well, I think you'll have your own bath. You won't necessarily have to kind of um, do the wild hot tub thing with strangers, <laughs> which, you know, like I said, I'm not beach ready. So I would I would have to kind of hesitate about that. But no, it would be kind of an individual bath. But mm. you would have other baths around you. And as I said, you'd be in your bathing suit. This is all, so mis- like all very be... mysterious, but it's part of a tourism photo campaign and you'll yes. actually get paid yeah. for it. I know. I mean, they'd have to pay me to get into the bathing suit anyway, but still, these days, who couldn't use that little extra bit of cash? And they're not doing the thing of, oh, you have to have... A certain look or you have to have gone to drama school or uh, have been seen in a soap or on a stage or performed in a band it's they want people like you and I or your sisters or whatever it is to go out there and enjoy these things because at the end of the day these are the same people that if they do need to give themselves a treat or a break they're going to think about doing yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you women why, women between forty and fifty five are being requested here, correct? Yeah, to look to look at that age. Uh, you don't necessarily have to buy the calendar, be at that age, because of course you and I look like children. Uh, of course, at this point in our lives, but <laughs> big children. <laughs> you know. You know, when you go home and you look at the one you love and go, yeah, honey, apply for that. You you have no problem in fitting in whatever age group it is, fill in the blank. So why not? Why not? You know, why not? It's, it's all, all mysterious, but it sounds like fun and you'll get paid for it. So they're looking for women be, between yeah. 40 and 55 to be photographed in a bath of warm seaweed Somewhere in West Cork, you'll get mm-hmm. paid for it. And if you want to take part, you can send an email to Yoke Productions. Yes, and that's yoke as in, you know, the yoke of an ox rather yeah. than the yoke of an egg. And uh, Paddy and at that address at yokeproductions.com okay. will meet with the clients and say, here we have some of the fabulous people of Cork. Take your pick. Okay. And go from there. All right. And they'll get paid for it. It sounds like a fun project. Maybe someone will do it. Maybe someone's listening who said, you know what? I'll give that a go. I did it one time. I did a bath full of baked beans. Thank you, Tess. I did a, back, a bath full of baked beans. I did. I kid you not. I was washing baked beans out of strange parts of my body for days afterwards. But I did it for charity down outside where Brown Thomas is sat into a bath of baked beans at one stage. The things I have done for this job. But if you want to try it, sit in a bath, a seaweed bath. They're supposed to be very good for rheumatism and arthritis and all that. And and you can wash the smell off you with a shower. But, but it is 
supposed to be very good for you and it'll make for a great photograph as well. So if you're interested in that, if you're between 40 and 55 and you think you'd be game for a laugh and get paid for sitting into a bath of seaweed, paddy at yokeproductions.com, Y-O-K-E productions.com. Send a photograph of yourself. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't have to get into your own bath and fill it with seaweed. Just send a photograph to Paddy at yokeproductions.com. I sense this could be fun. 0818 96 96 96. On school uniforms, I was asking the question, what are the uniform lists like? Has any sense nor meaning been brought to them? Are they still looking for you to pay 40 quid for a jumper and 15 or 20 quid for a polo shirt that you have to buy with school colours in it? Or, or have we finally got any sense? Uh, Marie says one of the German discounters has a full uniform for €5.49, which is great to see. But will the school let the child in with it? Therein lies the problem. A few years ago, a friend of mine who works in retail, I happened to remark that uh, we eat a lot of chicken in, in our house. And at the time, the kids were mad into breaded chicken. So we were going through a lot of breaded chicken. And my friend who works in retail said, be careful when you're buying breaded chicken. I said, why? Well, Irish breaded chicken and breaded Irish chicken are not the same thing. And he went to this long explanation. I said, you're joking me. He said, no. He said, if it says breaded Irish chicken, buy it. He said, Irish breaded chicken could come from anywhere. It just means they put the bread on here. It's food labelling, and it's been going on for years. And your food label might not mean what you think it means. And there is a campaign on in the UK now where supermarkets, and here, supermarkets are coming under increased pressure to get rid of certain products that people say are fake, and they're labelled to look like something that they are not. Elk O'Mahony will be a sauster. Elk, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Great to catch up with you again. Labelling has been around for as long as food has been around. And the ability oh, yes. to mislead us. Like that, that story of the Irish breaded chicken and the British Irish chicken. They could put the bread on here. The chicken could come, could come from anywhere. There's many other examples like that. Absolutely. It's uh, as long as some part of the final product has been managed here in Ireland they can call it Irish breaded chicken, you know, or, or produced in Ireland. They can say that because it has, some part has been, uh, uh, like, for example, let's say you buy a cheap chicken from, I don't know, any country, and you just chop it up here, for example. You know, kind of you sell the chicken wings and the breasts and everything separately. It's produced in Ireland. Yeah. So, and they can actually put a label on produced in Ireland. Yeah. That's actually the, the scary thing. You know, the marketeers are very creative. They are very uh, conscious about this. They, they understand that we want to buy the best for our money. And they just put in labeling that is, and this is a, it's a problem. It adheres to legal legislation. So they actually don't have to put anything else on it because they absolutely stick to the law. And when you ask them, they just say, it's, it's, I've tried to interview uh, a supermarket once and I just got a one-liner back saying, uh, we are to legal regulations, yeah. full stop. Yes, yeah. so the, the regulations are interpreted and the label is therefore legal, but it's not, descri- Absolutely. It, it's not 
a, a true description of what lies within. It's not. So, so no. where where does this come into play, Elk? What do we need to be careful of? It, so um, there is a tiny little label on the back of the pack, and it's it's oval, and it has two uh, letters on the top, then a row of numbers in the middle, and then it should say EC or EU on the bottom, which means so the the, the country code is the first, so the two letters is a country code. So if it says IE. It should mean that this is an Irish product. Uh, the number underneath is simply the processing plant. So it's there are thousands of them. And the, the bottom one just means that it's part of the EU. So, But to be honest, it's uh, who looks at this and who knows this, for example, what it means. You yeah. know, so it's, it, it's very – and if you actually look it up, it's very, very hard to get information from it. Very, very hard. But the thing is – what I find, and, and I really hope, and, and the IFA now is really kind of putting pressure on the government to actually really do something there, is I, as a consumer, I want to know where my food comes from without having to go into depth of, of understanding quotes and so on. I want to know, is, has this chicken come from whatever country or is it an Irish chicken? You know, obviously, we all buy with our pocket, so obviously, we, but we still want the best product mm. and we still want to uh, uh, do Irish produce and so on. I thought it was law uh, to put the country of origin on a product. Like, if I go to the supermarket and buy, for argument's sake, raspberries or strawberries or any other kind of a fruit or veg, uh, vegetables, uh, th- there's a label with the country of origin. Is that not the law for everything? It is and it isn't. It, there are exceptions, and that's the problem. And I can't go into now how what the exceptions are. But if if it has been uh, 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 produced here but not made here or something like this, so they don't. It's it's really really complicated. And I try to understand it, but I say I have to go to college first to that, understand it. And that law. seems to be half the reason that the the, 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 the system is absolutely. so complicated. There are so many ways around it. That you can... Oh, that's that's a problem. That's a problem. But you know what? It's also very unfair to Irish producers who work under very, very strict regulations to produce good food, mm. which makes it very expensive. So Irish producers find it very hard to actually uh, uh, compete against cheap imports. You know, so and the supermarkets, as you said, they don't have to change anything because they stick to the law. The lawmaker isn't being put under pressure to change anything. So nothing changes until we as a consumer yeah. spend our money where it actually counts. So if a supermarket has these fake farms, for example, don't buy them. I yeah. know it's hard to say if you have to feed a whole family and so on, but yeah. still, it's it's the power is with the consumer. Yeah. In the, end. The, the fake farm is is a is a good one, and and you'd be afraid to quote any name, but you know, yeah. Lack, Lackna Hackney Farm. You know, it it probably doesn't exist, but it's probably there, not. and there's a picture of a cow or a lamb. Yeah, in front of it's the, clever marketing. Yeah, like the Hackney Farm. But, <laughs> yeah, but if you look at the back of the pack, and it says, for example, especially uh, uh, produced for, yeah, then actually it means that it might not be a proper farm. It has been a factory or it has been a, yeah. a, a battery farm or something like this. Yeah. So if uh, so, supermarkets actually some supermarkets do really really good work. Like for example, uh, uh, to point something out is 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 done stores for for example with the simply better range. Yes. They actually really display the producer on the pack. So if this is the case, you know it's a good product. You know it has been uh, produced under really our regulations. You know it's safe to eat and so on. 
um, and you support an Irish company. You know, uh, Aldi and Lidl also have great programs where they can where they put Irish produce on the shelf, and it is highlighted as well, which is good. Yes. So, but obviously, they are still. On the other hand, they make more money on the fake farms that they should do on the Irish produce. Yeah. You know, so so and this is where the problem lies. It's just money. And it, it's it's heartbreaking to see how how small producers struggle to uh, uh, make a living from their from their craft, and and then you see kind of these these fake labelings. It must be heartbreaking for anybody who is who is working in the food industry to see this. Yeah. Now, you know, the confusing thing here El, is that to come back mm-hmm. to the oval sticker, the oval mark with, yeah. the, with the IE on it. If you see the oval mark with the IE on it, you know this mm-hmm. is an Irish product. Yeah. But that doesn't yeah. stop the front of the package from saying no like the hackney farm exactly that's the problem yeah that's the problem it's uh, it's really one of the things that you know when you under you know yourself you have a family you come from work you just rush into the supermarket to get something for dinner you grab the first thing and always go in the basket and off you go home we don't really we, we are all time strapped for some reason these days so it's it's very hard to actually read every single label that is there you know, it's 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 so hard. And I do understand parents or, or, or family members saying, oh, you know what, it's chicken after all, you know. But the thing is, for example, in Ireland, you're not allowed to use antibiotics on meat. You know, yeah. so if, if I have a cow, I can't give the cow antibiotics and then sell it into the food system. In other countries, you can. Yeah. You know, so I want to know what I'm eating. You know, and I don't mind if they say not Nahini Farm or something, but what I want them to say is, guys, this is not a free range, it's not a happy chicken. Yeah, that yeah. chicken had suffered, you know. Yeah. So I really want to know this without having to understand identification codes or for trying to find out uh, uh, if the picture on the pack is actually real or not, you know. Yeah. I really want to get a very clear message this is a chicken that has been free range has been happy out in the field or it's a chicken that has really suffered with thousands of other chicken in, the, in a small battery. Yeah. So I, if, I, I and this we, is, we, needs we, to be very clear. We, need, we also, I, we, yes, we need to be cognizant, I suppose, Elk, of the people who are just looking for a bit of food to put in yeah. the fridge and, and we're not trying to talk down to them or anything. But, but, Absolutely not. And it, but it should be their decision to do this. Yes. On, on clear identification, on clear facts, not that they have to guess so if somebody says to me, okay, this is a buttery chicken, it's in my decision to buy it or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, so this is what, I, what I, I'm so upset about, that we are lied, being lied to, legally lied to, and it takes away the right from me to make a clear decision for, based on facts. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, and this is what I'm so angry about. A couple of queries coming in with regard to stuff being passed mm-hmm. off as Irish, like we started off with. Like, if... You might say the majority of value is is added here. So so you buy something from out foreign, it goes into a production process, spices mm. are added, it's packaged here, it might even be the raw product might even be cooked here, but it came from outside the country. Mm. They can they can call that Irish, can't they? They can say produced in Ireland. Right. They can't really call it it's, it's the same with the Irish butter chicken or British Irish chicken. Yes. You know, it's the same thing. So they can't call it Irish produce, but what they can say is produced in Ireland, which for the normal uh, 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 person, for the normal John Doe, this means Irish. They think it means an Irish product, yeah. It, like something like a sandwich that you might buy. The, the bread is the bread is English, the, the butter is Irish, yeah. the chicken yeah. could be Irish produced here. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's confusing, but the, it is. The, the thing to look for is... If it's produced in Ireland, 
doesn't necessarily mean it's an Irish product. No, unfortunately not, no. Okay, okay. And and certainly the farm on the front might not be a genuine <laughs> farm. Elk, thanks as always. Elk O'Mahony, uh, be a sauce. Labelling has always been with us and always will be with us. Um, but if you want to... F- but if, look, if you need food for your family, you'll buy whatever's there and you'll buy whatever's there at the best value possible. And that's grand. But if you want to buy a particularly Irish product, you want to support Irish farmers, Irish producers, whatever, be careful of the label produced in Ireland. It does not necessarily mean it's a genuine Irish product. Most of the value might have been added here. The raw material might have come from outside and the processing and the packaging be done here, but it's not actually an Irish product, not really. Aoife was on, there's been a crash by the Burgess near Killa, the petrol station down there, uh, between a van and a car. All the emergency services were on the scene. Thankfully, everybody's okay. We've moved through, uh, but there was delays there. Thanks, Aoife, for that one. 0818969696. Aaron says, oh, I'd love to sit in a bath of seaweed if I was getting paid for it. <laughs> I'd end up giving people nightmares. How? How? On the prices of drink, and I talked to Michael O'Donovan before 10 and pointing out that maybe one of the reasons people aren't going to pubs is the ridiculous price of drink in this country. And even with minimum pricing, which came in on the 4th of January, even with that, you can still buy a half dozen beers for less than 15 quid. You can buy a bottle of wine for 10 or 12. You can have a night in with friends and it'll cost you an awful lot more, or less rather, than going to the pub. Whereas you go and you have two pints of lager in the pub and you're looking apart with 12 quid, if not more. Um, PJ, we're in Portugal. Local brew is called Superbock. I've never been to Portugal, but I do believe it's a very nice beer. It's lovely, says this fellow. Two pints of it and two big glasses of Coke. And that's something we don't have here. In the continent, the foreign countries, they have this 350 mil bottle of Coke that you get in the pub. It's a big, huge bottle of Coke. Not this little 200 mil baby thing that we get here. Yeah, so two pints of Superbock and two glasses of Coke, eight euro. You wouldn't get the minerals for that in Ireland. It's a total rip-off. That's from Pat in Portugal. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Only Aaron so far volunteering to get into the bath of seaweed. Marion was on. Thank you for this, Marion. I'm not familiar with the movie, um, or indeed not with this song, but thank you. She said she was watching the movie called Emma, which is based on a book by Jane Austen. The soundtrack is great, but at the end of the movie, there's a song called My Queen Bee, which she described as a lovely little ditty. I thought of you right away, she she as you often refer to your missus as the Queen Bee. The singer's name is Johnny Flynn, and it's on YouTube. You may know the song already, but just in case you don't, I thought I'd let you know. Thank you, Marion. I haven't heard it. I'll go and look. I'll go and look. Herself might even like it. Yeah, she too has actually um, warmed a little to the name the Queen Bee. We've one or two little ornaments now in the garden. She's a divot for going to garden centres and buying stuff. Um, we have some lovely things in the garden. We, we, we actually have... Sorry now, but you've led me down a road here. We, we actually have a queen bee. A couple of them. We actually have a queen bee in the garden. Big... She bought it at a... Um, she was on the way to she was in Dublin for work one day and she, she, she stopped at this garden centre halfway down. She found this two-foot-tall metal bee right home with us. Thanks, Marion. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I was saying earlier on, it looks very much as if we're in for some warm stuff again next week. Alan is very optimistic at uh, Carlo Weather and the Dark Sky Weather app, which rarely, if ever, lets me down, is giving us some nice weather, some pretty nice weather next week. 22 to 25, 24, 23, pretty much every day. Uh, sunny every day, which means warm, which means it'll be warm going to the office, which means you'll have to grin and bear it in office wear if you're trying to do an office job. And even when I talk about this, I, I thank my lucky stars that I don't have to conform to a dress code in here. I've been in shorts and a t-shirt since May, uh, and I, I, I can't under. I, couldn't possibly wear a suit uh, to work anyway but you know yourself if you have to you have to and if you have a dress code in work it can be very difficult at a time of hot weather to dress appropriately without stewing in your own juices if it's very very warm monica rodriguez styling color expert monica good morning to you Good morning, PJ. How are you? Great. It can be very difficult if you have to wear a suit. A man or a woman has to wear a suit, has to wear a particular code, and it's hot and sticky in the office. It can. And and being from Portugal myself, I can tell you it can be very, very hard. Um, but there is ways to, to factor those things in. So like, it all depends, first of all, if there is an actual dress code, if yeah. it's very formal or if it's not as formal. But 
there is um, a way to consider fabrics, for instance, um, and there are certain fabrics that are naturally breathable fabrics that will help control um, the temperature of the body, like cottons and linens, silks. Um, that type of fabric will help you uh, remain fresh. And there are nowadays suits are, for instance, um, very fashionable. So everybody wears a suit nowadays. And you can find them in all different fabrics, like linen, for instance, is the best that you can get for hot weather. Um, for women, it's easier because you can wear dresses and you can actually adapt easier. For men, it's a bit more complex because if you have to wear a suit and a tie every day, you, yeah. you really need to look into the fabrics. The, um, the tie is the killer. The, 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 I mean, I find it ties, <laughs> I, I probably could count on the fingers of one hand the number of times a year I wear a tie. Uh, yes, that is a reality, and they they are restrictive. They are very restrictive. Um, but again, if you're wearing something that is lighter in terms of like a shirt that is not as hot, and um, a, a blazer, for instance, for a suit that is not as hot, it becomes more tolerable. Um, also, you can have a tie that is very adjusted to the neck, but leave the bottom open under it, yes. so it lets you breathe a little bit better. Yes, we. Our weather is changing. We accept that. So yes. <laughs> is it now a time where someone who does have to wear a suit for work or a woman who has to wear a particular type of dress for work, is it time to start putting a corner of our wardrobe aside for, for, for suitable summer, summer wear? To be honest, I think that if you have a wardrobe where you have to set stuff aside depending on the time of the year, that's not a very good wardrobe, okay? okay. Because you're supposed to have um, the items that are in your wardrobe, they are, they're supposed to be versatile enough that you can transition them um, with wearing a third piece, like just, for instance, a dress where you can wear it in the summer or in the winter, but put a different coat on depending on the seasons. Um, so if if you are looking at a person that has a wardrobe that needs to be changed, and obviously there are items that do need to be changed, like you're not going to wear wool on a 30 degrees weather. No. Um, but <laughs> hopefully, but if you if you do have certain items, there are like statement um, pieces that you can transition between the seasons. That is actually not only saving you money, but it's making your life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so the rule of thumb normally is for each item that you buy. So if you buy a shirt, you have to have five bottoms to pair it with. Um, so you can actually transition it into a lot of outfits. Um, makes your, your life a lot easier also when you're choosing something to wear. So for a person, for instance, that works in a formal office or in a bank, um, let's say that, that you need to actually have that formal look. If you have a dress, the important thing is don't show um, your shoulders, for instance, don't wear big cleavages because obviously they transmit a lot of sensuality, which is not what you want in, in that type of environment. You want to, a bit more of formality. You want mm. the, the respectful image. Um, but you can put a blazer on top. You can wear a light shirt or open on top of that. Um, you know, it, it makes easy. It makes it easier. Um, there's also like a lot of Bermuda shorts nowadays. There are knee length um, that can be worn and still be very respectful. Um, skirts always a bit longer, and for, for men is a diff a little bit different mm. because men don't have as many options, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, it is it is looking at first of all the occasion and the circumstances that you're dressing for. Mm. That is the important focal point. So some I I wear shorts from about the middle of May until they have to be dragged off me in September. It's when it just gets too cold 
to wear them. Uh, but I, I remember some lunatic came up a few years ago with a suit that had shorts. It looked ridiculous. Does anybody ever wear those? Uh, yes, do people sometimes do? Um, it depends again. So look, if you if you wear a pair of chino shorts, yeah. right, they will look a lot better than um, suit shorts because they're not really supposed to be shorts. No, they not. weren't made to be shorts. Um, and you see that, for instance, where if you look up on Google, like um, people that go to the French Alps, for instance, the dress code is is, is informal, but people do dress up to the nines there. Um, so that that makes it, it depends on the circumstances. Obviously, if you're going to work in a bank and you're a man, please don't wear shorts. Um, <laughs> it's not suitable. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, if you're going to have a beer with your friends, by all means do. If yeah. you work in an informal place, do, but um, there are, you have to kind of have some common sense around where you're going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And buying, buying in a, in a way that, the, yeah, I, I like what you said while I go about, you know, your wardrobe, every, any item in your wardrobe should be wearable summer and winter. So focus on the mm-hmm. versatility of something. Yes. Um, it, it is important because I think people got used to consuming fast fashion too much. So um, there are certain shops that have very low prices, but the quality is not really there. And you end up buying like in the sales, those two, three-year-old T-shirts and jumpers that you're going to wear all the time. And then they just get stacked into a drawer. It's not a good investment. You're actually spending more money than if you save for a month or two and buy a decent item for a, of a very good quality that is going to last you 10 years. Um, when you have a certain number of items, it's important that you know what you have in your wardrobe because if you have too much, you don't. And when you know what you have in your wardrobe, when you're buying a pair of chinos, for instance, you're going to think, okay, these are um, gray and I have one, two, three, four, five shirts that I can wear them with and I have one, two, three jackets that I can wear them with and you have effectively a number of outfits based on one pair of pants. Yes, yes, which is a number of different, yeah, layering as well. I mean, as we, you know, you, in the summer, you wear one or two layers at most. In the winter, mm-hmm. you might wear three or four layers. But pretty much anything you have, you could wear as a you can wear as an outer wear in the summer and as an inner layer in the winter. So you, that that's more exactly. Yeah, and and it is very important, especially in in times where the the weather is a bit uncertain. So like especially in Ireland, we know that you can get out in the morning and it's lashing rain, and in the evening you have splitting sun and you don't know what to do with yourself. <laughs> um so <laughs> so like when you have um for instance, I'm gonna give the dress again, but like if you're wearing a dress and you have a cardigan on top, right? If it gets warmer you can take off the cardigan. In the winter is the same. If you're wearing um an underlayer for instance with a shirt on top, you can put a blazer and you will be warm. You don't need to be wearing a jacket that makes you look like the Michelin man. Um, That's true. That you can't actually move. Um, and you have to be, you know, aware of the circumstances where you're going to be. Are you going to be walking a lot? Um, are you going to be sitting at a desk all day where it's going to make you more cold because you're not moving? But layering is an excellent option so you can transition very quickly from cold to hot or hot to cold right. by just simply peeling off layers. All right. Good to catch up, uh, Monica. Monica Rodriguez, Style and Colour Advisor. Warm weather next week. Wear the lightest stuff you can. Uh, And if you can be a little bit casual, go as casual as you can get away with. Uh, I wonder, would anybody ever have the the cajones to wear shorts to work in a bank. Like, what's the point anyway? Because you're sitting behind the desk. This is controversial opinion coming up. You're sitting behind the desk 
Um, so the suit and tie is visible on top. But she could be wearing shorts beneath it, couldn't you? You often see it on the television when they pan back from the television reporter. The suit and tie on the six o'clock news. There's a pair of shorts underneath. There's a young man from Riverstown Boxing Club. Uh, King Callum Walsh. I think we might have talked to Callum at some point uh, as he was embarking on his career. He won his fight in Hollywood in the early hours of this morning. Unanimous decision. He won all six rounds. Congratulations to you, young man. That comes in from the Glenmire Notice Board people who are on holidays in Lanzarote at the moment and aiming to read ten books during the holiday. I read not well, I finished book nine last night, which I started sort of on the plane home, finished last night. So nine, ten is, ten is pushing it. Nine I did. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Don't you just love hedgehogs? Don't you just love little hedgehogs? We, we occasionally get hedgehogs that would visit the ditches or the, the hedges around Coogan Towers. Haven't had one for a couple of years now because they ripped up our neighbours changed their hedge at the back, so an awful lot of the trees went and trees got pulled down on our side as well. So we don't get as many hedgehogs as we used to. But they're the cutest little things. Now, they're probably riddled with fleas and you wouldn't dare to pick them up. The dogs lose their mind when there's a hedgehog anywhere nearby. But they are the cutest little things. And people love them. And and there's an event coming up um, organised by Cork Nature Network. It's a workshop uh, as part of Heritage Week, it's a workshop on hedgehogs. Elaine O'Reardon is a zoology technician at the School of Natural Science in NUI Galway and joins me. Elaine, good morning. First of all, what is it about these little fellas that we like them so much? Uh, good morning, PJ. Um, well, as you said, they are kind of, they are cute, which is, is funny because the Irish name Gronyog means little ugly one. <laughs> so I don't know, they mightn't always have been taught to people that they were cute. But um, I think they're seen as kind of, they're inoffensive. They wamble around the garden and they snuffle and they eat up the bugs and stuff that gardeners don't like. So I think people generally are very fondly disposed <laughs> towards the hedgehogs. Mm, people, the, people tend to put out bits of, little bits of cat food for them and stuff and they'll come and they'll nibble on that but but they'll be quite happy with the with the the the, the mites and the flies and the the bugs and the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Their, their their main food would be things like um beetles and caterpillars and worms and and snails and uh, and stuff like that mm. yeah so um but they certainly will they do like to raid the old um the cat food and dog food all right when mm. it's left out yeah now you'll be hosting this this event um so so what's what was what, what, what there's a there's a there's a purpose to it not just to teach us about it you want to record yeah. the hedgehog population that's right. Yes, I am working on a project called the Irish Hedgehog Survey. And the idea is we don't really know a huge amount about the Irish uh, hedgehog population. There's only been a very small bit of research done on hedgehogs in this country. So um, what we're trying to get an idea of is the, is the kind of the abundance and the distribution of hedgehogs in Ireland. So how many they are and, and kind of what kind of places they like to live and stuff. So um, as part of that, then I'm asking people to get involved in, in helping me to count and record hedgehogs. So uh, that's what this workshop on uh, Saturday week is for, uh, is to, um, to, to, introduce people to different ways that they can count hedgehogs. So there's there's different ways. Sometimes people, if you just see a hedgehog when you're out in the road or in your garden, you can you can report it uh, via the Biodiversity Ireland website. 
or if um, if people want to get a bit more involved, then they can actively survey in their garden or in their local area uh, using what we call footprint tunnels. So they're like a little plastic tube, like a triangular tube, and mm. we have some paper and ink and some cat food in there. And when the hedgehogs go in to eat the food, they leave footprints. So that's a good way to know if there's hedgehogs there because they're kind of hard to survey. Yeah. Do, 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 they, do they congregate in family groups um, or, or Not are they lone animals? <laughs> They're, yeah, most of the time they're 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 alone on by themselves. Except the the only family groups you'd have would be a mother and the young, which we call hoglets. So, um, the the they don't pair up in pair bonds or in, in family groups at all. Even though they might have a few living all in the same area, and sometimes they might even snuggle up and share a nest or something for a while. But they generally live by themselves. They are solitary animals. Yeah, and and do they they bed down for the winter, don't they? They hibernate. <laughs> They do, yeah, yeah. So come around kind of the end of October, once the temperatures are, are getting low and then the food gets scarce at that time of the year for them. So they do hibernate throughout the winter. Now, they might wake up sometimes and they might even move around or come out for food or a drink, uh, but they generally do hibernate between the end of October and, you know, the end of March into April, that kind of way. Mm, they're, they're a cute little thing to find in, in the corner of the garden. Once you have unpanicked the dog, uh, they are a cute little thing to find in the corner of the garden. So what can we do? I mean, I'll obviously record them and, and, and help to count them. But if, if a hedgehog has decided to make his or her home in the, in the hedge at the, edge of the, at the end of the garden, what do we do? Is it okay to feed them? Do we just let them there? there are, yeah, absolutely. There are hedgehog and, boxes and, in, in B&Q and other places like that. Is oh yeah, yeah, and you can go all out if you want to. Um, I, the best thing for them is is leave a few areas wild in the garden. Leave you know some long grass at the edge of the garden, bushes and hedges, as you said, and you can choose to put out food for them. They like uh, wet cat food or dog food. Um, some people say to avoid the fish flavor ones; they don't like that. Or small little, you know, little kitten biscuits or stuff like that. They will eat that. And some water is very important as well for them. But if you don't want to be leaving food out for them, you can always, you know, leave a pile of logs and stuff, or or plant different kind of flowers and stuff that will attract insects and and mm. creepy crawlies and stuff into the garden, and then they they can. Uh, that, that will attract them. But the one thing as well is that, you know, hedgehogs, they do wander quite a distance every night. They, they can wander one or two kilometres in a night. Really? So, yeah, yeah. So they wouldn't live in a garden. They might come back and sleep there during the day or even hibernate there in the winter. But right. one garden is never really going to have enough for a hedgehog yeah. to sustain it. So, yeah. So what I would say is make sure that they can get out of your garden. Yeah, so, yeah. you know. Yeah, leave a little gate open or cut a little hole in the fence or, or just make sure that they can they can actually get out and move around between your garden, the neighbours and the wider area. And uh, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't yeah, have thought yeah. that. This little ball of spikes can go a kilometre or two in the course of a night. Yeah. And they're, they seem well disposed towards man, but, but is it down to the fact that they're, they're virtually blind and they can't see us anyway? Well, did you know, they... They're kind of fairly sure of their own defences. Like yeah. they have a very good defence system, so they can. You're not going to start picking them up anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, like they will roll up in a ball, and if you've ever picked one up, you know it's it's a pretty good defence system. They, you know, they will come up, and I do. I have seen pictures of people even hand feeding them and stuff. And but they're very much their own personalities, all of them as well. I've had other hedgehogs have like tried to take the hand off me. You know what I mean? They're very aggressive. so they're very much their own little little 
hedge people. So, they, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, so they don't really, t- things don't frighten them much. The yeah. only real predator they would have in Ireland would be a badger. But, yeah. you know, dogs will pick them up and can harm them. And, and of course, people can harm them and stuff. But um, yeah. but they have a, they're very sure of their own defences. Yeah, I, I, I would be too if I had a spiky back, I guess. Listen, thank you very much. That's Elaine O'Reardon who will be giving that talk. Eventbrite.ie is where you'll find the details. Discovering Hedgehogs. You get the tickets there. It's as part of Heritage Week. It's taking place at 11 o'clock Saturday, August 13th at Photo Wildlife Park. There's a number of other events taking place. We'll give you those details during during the week. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, we'll be building up to the big day for the Camogie players before the end of the programme. More aid went on her travels to meet some supporters and players and we'll catch up with that before the end of the programme. Good morning. 0818 96 96 96 the Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie I'm not someone who watches much television at this time of the year. I can be clung to it in the winter because there's nothing else to, to brighten up my day or my night than a bit of television but I'm not much of a television watcher at this time of the year although there are a few things on Netflix right now that a person might be tempted one of them is The Grey Man which is Netflix's second most popular movie of 2022 it's a thriller and the other is Spencer which is the story, as it sounds, of uh, Lady Di and uh, her interaction, or being part of her life story, being part of the, the royal family and all of that. Both of them fascinating, both of them movies, both of them already gone into my to-watch list. Shirley Donovan joins me. Hi, Shirley. Hi, PJ, how are you? Good. This, at this time of the year, like I said, my, my television watching goes way back, but, but these are put into the My List category for, for the weeks and months ahead. The Grey Man is a kind of a thriller. Yes, The Grey Man is a, a kind of an action thriller movie, and we, we kind of have seen a lot of these coming out of Netflix in the last couple of months. So, like, as you say, we don't tend to commit to TV series through the summer, so movies are kind of an easy way if you just have, you know, a quiet night. So this is a, this is one, actually, that, like, my husband wanted to watch, and I was saying, oh, I don't know, I don't know if this will be my cup of tea now, and I was reluctant enough to watch it, and it really surprised me, and I really enjoyed it. So you have Ryan Gosling in this, um, playing the lead character, and he is a lifer in jail for murder and he is taken in by the CIA then as a hitman. So he he's released from prison to become a hitman for the CIA. And it, beca- it becomes a kind of um, a situation where he has to hunt the handlers then, yeah. you know, without giving too much away. So this is really fast paced, moves really fast. There is never, never a dull moment from beginning to end in this one. Yeah, it's it's had a huge budget in putting it together. That Netflix haven't haven't done no, that. No, they don't anyway. But they haven't spared the horses here. And did I read? Is there a sequel has been ordered? 
There's definitely a sequel. You Like, as you're watching it, there's a couple of plot holes that you see and you kind of, you overlook them because the movie is going so fast. Yeah. You don't question an awful lot of those little plot holes. But when you come to the end of the movie, you're going, right, we're definitely going to see another one of these. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of opportunity for stories to continue. And there's a lot of opportunity as well for spin-offs of other characters. Mm, yeah. And as you say, like, huge budget from the guys who did Avengers Endgame as well um, and you see I don't know if, like when you watch this now it'll be interesting but I sort of found because I've watched a lot of uh, like Ryan Reynolds is doing a lot for Netflix lately and there's a lot of action movies things like Red Notice and all these and this definitely has a feel of the Ryan, Ryan Reynolds effect with other actors you know trying to bring in that kind of comedy action vibe yeah. into it yeah my, my fear with, with a movie like this is that it, it has all been done before so you've got to do it really well yeah look I suppose you're kind of putting it in the same category in a lot of ways as the kind of the Mission Impossible, Born Identity, Identity. Um, it does kind of even a Bond movie to a certain extent mm. but you have to remember as well. Liam as movies, you know. <laughs> yeah, but a lot, yeah, exactly. But a lot of those, like the Bourne movies, would have been a, a very different audience. So you're bringing these kind of movies to a much younger audience who may not have seen these the yeah. predecessors as such. And if, I'm not saying that it's not done well. It's not done as well as a Bond movie or a Bourne well, movie. But n- nevertheless, it's it's a really good watch. I was really surprised by it and I really enjoyed it. Now, we know that later in the year, and I've no doubt we'll talk about it when it comes, uh, season five of The Crown is coming to us, I think, is it in November time or thereabouts? And that'll be yeah. focusing more on Di and Charles and everything else. And we've been waiting on that. The end of season four was getting really good. Sp- talk to me about Spencer. It is a movie... And it is, I believe, as lavish as an episode of The Crown. It's It focuses on Lady Di. Yeah, so this was the one then that I was like, oh, I really want to watch this. I'm a huge fan of The Crown. Um, so I thought, out of the two movies, I thought this would be my one. And this was the one that I felt was more of a letdown. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say, again, it was entertaining, but it's a very different spin. Like, I think when you... This was really kind of marketed as a Diana movie as if it was a factual, you know, biopic. And it's not. It's very much um, fiction based on fact. And it, it kind of, I think if you're a fan of The Crown, you'll find that a little bit irritating. Really? Do you know what I mean? It's So we've Kirsten, Kirsten Stewart, who everybody knows from Twilight, and she's playing Lady Diana Spencer. And it comes at, um, the movie runs across three days over Christmas um, of her spending Christmas with the royal family at Sandringham and all of the challenges that come with that. Um, but it's very, I found it a little bit melodramatic, a little bit of over-egging the pudding in a lot of ways. Mm. And very much a one-woman show for Kristen Stewart. So if you're not a fan of hers, you'll probably find it a bit of a hard watch. Yeah, yeah. Production values on The Crown, of course, really, really high bar. Does it match them? Um, it's probably 70% there. Yeah, like you see a lot of you'll recognize a lot of the costumes, obviously. But you see, I just think this whole entire movie, which is a two hour movie, would have had the same budget probably as one episode of The Crown. So like when you think of what they're spending across a season of The Crown, the attention to detail is massive. And I think because in The Crown, the visual aspect, even the characters looking like members of the royal family, there's a lot of attention put into that as well. 
where with this one, all of the attention is put on Diana and the supporting characters are such small roles and don't resemble anybody in the royal family that it makes it a little bit thin. It makes the plot for me a little bit thin. Yeah, yeah, but still, and you know, I think given that it's set around Christmas, a lot of people might decide to hold out until Christmas. I don't know about you, Shirley. I'm one of these people. I can't watch a Christmas-based movie any time other than Christmas. Now, I will say, other than the fact that they say it's Christmas, you would not know that it's Christmas. It's not a Christmassy movie at all. Now, it did come out, it was released initially in November of last year, so it did come out at the same time as The Crown um, Season 4 as well. Um, But it's not a very Christmassy movie. It's very much focused on the sort of the challenges that Diana would have been facing towards the end of her marriage you know, all of the the isolation and the loneliness and Mm. everything that she was battling. And it doesn't, there's not a lot of interaction with other characters. It's very much focused on her. Uh But how you would perceive her as a character is, to me, she she was portrayed in that as a bit of a childish, kind of rude, sullen, arriving late to things, rather than the sort of gentle and friendly kind of, happier when she's with the public as such you don't see an awful lot of that so I'm not sure that people who are Diana fans or the Crown fans how they would see it but at the same time I didn't turn it off halfway through it did yeah. I, I wanted to see it out to the end so it was entertaining but between the two of them for me the Grey Man was, was a, a surprisingly good watch Alright, alright worth both of them worth the watch but the higher recommendation coming from Shirley is the grey man. Thank you, Shirley. 0818 96 96 96. Yeah, season five of The Crown, I believe, due in November. We have to sit down and watch season four again. Also coming out uh, in September, 9th of September, and I would probably talk about it when it comes closer, season five of Cobra Kai. Now, if you're looking for something to watch and you remember... Karate Kid movies, and you haven't discovered Cobra Kai, go and have fun. It's the same characters. They're older, obviously. There are flashbacks to the Karate Kid movies with little snatches of Mr. Miyagi. It runs for four seasons, and season five starts in September. It's brilliant. If you were into the the Karate Kid stuff, um... There were the originals in the 80s and then was a remake later. If you liked The Karate Kid, you're going to love Cobra Kai. We're waiting for it in my house with bated breath because the young fella is a huge fan of Cobra Kai. Um, so that comes out on September the 9th, Season 5. 0818 96 96 96. Reminder to you, we are still counting and we will eventually come to a decision who won the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards uh, for, for fierce work, frantic work to continue over the weekend before we announce the winners on Tuesday, August 9th. That is next Tuesday. Uh, in your particular category, your particular favourite, did they win? You'll find out on Tuesday. There's also a €5,000 media campaign to be won from Cork's 96FM. Stay listening Tuesday to see if your favourite wins in their category. It's the Best Cork Awards 2022 with localheroes.ie, your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians and much more. The awards brought to you only by Cork's 96FM. When we're adoring Adele, are you thinking it's not easy on me? And has our love of Justin Bieber got you not wanting to stay? 
the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100 euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie Can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. There's a food festival coming up in East Cork at the end of August. August 28th, it kicks off, runs until 4th September. So preparations underway. It's to be called Feast. And I'm joined by Kevin Ahern of Sage in Middleton, who's the organiser. Kevin, Good morning. Good morning, how are you? How are things? Good. Big event coming up then. Big event coming up. The planning is done. We're ready to rock and roll. It's all ready to go. Tell me what's happening. We're ready. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Tell me Um, what's happening. So we have a week long of events uh, starting on the 28th up until the 4th of September. Um, It's basically, I suppose, it's a showcase of East Cork food and the the restaurants and the producers of East Cork. So we have um, feastcork.com is where the program is. There is about 30 to 40, 30 events happening throughout the week. So there's all like pop-up events. So you'll have pop-up like guest chefs coming down from Cork City, coming down to Middleton. You'll have farm tours, distillery tours. Um, there's, there's a whole feast of events going on for the week. And feast is a play, of course, on East, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it was came it came from food. So food starting with an F and obviously East Cork with East. So I came it came to it came from Feast Feast Cork it came it from. Yeah. It used to be the Middleton Food and Drinks Festival and then it just it transformed over the years then into we kind of wanted to showcase a little bit more of East Cork rather than just Middleton because the surrounding areas were Ballycotton and Castlemartyr and everywhere else as well. So um yeah, Feast Feast was founded. So are the events spread out across the region? Yes, you've got events in, obviously Middleton is the, the flagship of the festival, so there are events being held in Middleton, but there's also events being held in Ballymaloo, there's events being held in, in Ballycott, and there's events being held in Rostellan, Rostellan Farm Milk Experience, they're opening a, a lovely noodle farm shop, so they're having people in to showcase their new farm and show people around their, their dairy and how they produce the milk, and they're um, they're opening a new food store, I think it's next weekend they're opening, so the very best luck to them, and um yeah, showcase around. There's uh, Bertha's Revenge. They're having a distillery tour uh, event as well. Uh, mm. There's whiskey tastings. There's there's a whole whole feast of events going on. How great is it to be able to do all this again? Uh, it's exciting. It's that, I suppose that's the big the big thing we're pushing on this year. You know, it's like we're together again. It's um, the whole idea of our own food and and drink in the regions that people just get out there, enjoy it, have a bit of crack, have a bit of fun, get together again. You know, enjoy what we have in East Cork and and Cork as well, and we're just we're very excited to be able to to get the festival back on the road again this year. Because obviously, Norris has been shut down for the two years. It takes a little bit of extra effort to get it back up and rolling yeah. again. Now the, the the effort's been put in. Everybody's put in a lot of effort into getting the program together, and um, we just wish all the producers and everybody involved the very best of luck. We hope everything is well attended. And we just want people to really enjoy themselves. And the, a big thing then as well is on the Sunday, Sunday the 4th, that's the main market day. Mm. So that's the that's the Hullapalooza, say you will, of the um, the main day, which is in Middleton. So that's going to be held on the, the main street in Middleton. So there's going to be up to 50 producers um, doing food and drink on the main street. Brilliant. There's going to be Grub, Cir- Grub Circus, which is like an, uh, an event for um, showcasing chefs and uh, 
let's say demos, chef demos and right. talks. That's going to be going on as well. And there's going to be lots of fun things going on throughout the town as well on the main day. What's the story with regard to tickets? Uh, no tickets. So if you want to get tickets for the events themselves, they're individual events. So yeah. they, you have to go on to feastcourt.com. Follow the links, and you'll for every event they'll have their own tickets. So you'll buy tickets from the the event itself. Okay. For the main day, you just show up and enjoy yourself. Very good. All right, Kevin. Good luck with it. We may talk again. Thank you so much. Closer to time. That's Kevin Ahern. Um, Feast Food Festival, all organised and all set to go. Twenty eighth August to fourth of September, down in East Cork. We look forward to that. Oh eight one eight. 96, 96, 96. Now, fierce excitement building ahead of the All-Ireland Camogie Finals on Sunday. And Cork are featuring in two of the deciders. Uh, they're against Galway in the intermediate. That plays at 2 o'clock. And then the seniors playing Kilkenny in the final at 4.15. Big day for Cork Camogie. Let's hope they can deliver on both of those and bring the Cubs back to Cork. But uh, Moraid Tuig went to a rogue camogie club to hear what the players love about the game and how they're feeling ahead of such a big day for Cork on Sunday. My name's Anna. I like playing camogie because it feels like it's an individual sport just for girls. It kind of means that they're representing not just Cork but all the other girls that want to play camogie as well. Gracie. Well, I kind of get excited like to see that Cork and like reach in All-Ireland. Sarah. It's really enjoyable and you kind of like get to represent your own club when you're kind of win their jersey. Kira. It's fun and I love it, yeah. Kaylin. It's just a really enjoyable sport and it's really fun to play with all my mates and stuff. And what would you say to girls maybe who don't play but would you encourage them that they should take it up? I think they should take it up or at least give it a try. It's really good. My name is Neil. What's the best thing about playing Kamogi? Probably just the competitiveness. It's just great and it's just really enjoyable. Katie. And what do you like about Crow Park? Uh, I just love watching the matches um, and everything. Players here in Aerog are really looking forward to the big weekend ahead for Cork Camogie. Lily May. I the competitiveness of it. What do you like about Crow Park when you've been there before? It's really big, so... And when you get a good seat, like, you can see, like, you can see the entire match. Uh, my name is Anna Scali. I've been playing Kamogi for six years. Uh, I like the competitiveness and I like meeting my friends at training. Uh, I'm very glad that they're in the final and I like watching the Kamogi, so that's very good. Brina. I like playing Kamogi. It's really fun. It's a competitive game you get you can get hurt a lot but it's fun to win and what does it mean to see the the court girls i suppose go as far as they can in terms of the all ireland um it feels really good it makes it feel like that you can go there as well Ava murphy i like teamwork and i love winning matches with my team Ava. and what does it mean to you to see the the court ladies in the the all ireland final it inspire me to go up and do it myself someday it's like it's really good to be able to play camogie and watch people and be able to do it myself and things to be able to see people that could encourage me to go up and do that myself someday. Lucy. And I suppose seeing Cork now get to the All Ireland final, that's great encouragement, isn't it? Yeah, because like you can really just set your goals and go work your way up to it. Eve. And are you going on Sunday? Yeah. And have you been in Crow Park before? Uh, a few times. And what do you think of it? 
I like it. It's a good atmosphere. On Sunday, Crow Park will be filled with Cork supporters for not one but two All-Ireland finals. First up, it's the intermediate decider Cork face Galway from 2pm. That's followed by the meeting of Cork and Kilkenny in the senior final from 4.15. Laura, I love it. Coming in training and everything is great fun and we've nice trainers and everything so it makes it more enjoyable. And there's three players from Rogue on the team as well. I'm Siobhan Hutchinson and Aoife O'Callaghan are on the intermediate team and Isabel Sheehan's on the senior team. Clara, I love like meeting my friends and like we have such amazing coaches. <laughs> playing for Cork for the under 14 so what does that mean that's a, that's a really big honour isn't it oh uh, yeah it's great to meet like new people from different clubs that you've been playing with for like you know against so to be friend with them and playing with like the same team is fun like Kina I don't know my dad always played it my older sister played it so it was just kind of we played it like excellent and seeing Cork now get to the All-Ireland final does that give you real encouragement uh, yeah it's great like Kira. and you going to the match on Sunday yeah great it's good like motivation for us and yeah good to see like the role models in the club Ava how long have you been playing Camogie um, since I was four or five and seeing I suppose a Cork team now reaching an All-Ireland final that's great encouragement isn't it yeah definitely I'm Erin Healy what does that mean to play for Cork under 14s? That must be a real honour. Yeah, it's like really good because you're hoping to get as far as they do and reach Crow Park someday. And what would you say to people maybe who don't play Kogi? Would you encourage them to give it a go? Yeah, definitely. It makes you loads of friends and it's good for keeping you fit as well. Yvonne O'Brien is PRO for Aeroge Kogi Club. A lot of the girls you spoke to earlier, they're playing since they were under fives. They've had a lot of fantastic trainers over the years and some of those trainers would have also trained girls now who are playing in Croke Park um, and it's fantastic for them to see that they could also aspire to those girls and actually play in Croke Park, be it for Cork or maybe for Musgrave for their division um, so they're all very very excited it's brilliant for them to go up and actually see a player that they know on playing in Croke Park On Cork! On Hey hey and Yeah, Sunday afternoon the intermediate match two o'clock and the seniors at a quarter past four good luck to Cork on both counts and thanks to Moraid for that she went to see uh, all the Camogie players at Aerogue Club 0818969696 it's still there it's still streaming the Back Garden Festival Cork's 96FM's exclusive online station with the biggest hits from this summer's headline acts because we still have more gigs Westlife isn't it is it next weekend it is next weekend is Westlife uh, down the park they're in there they're in there in the Back Garden Festival with lots more artists all the headline artists from the festivals of the summer brought to you by Harvey Norman and JBL your specialists in sound this summer listen on the app or go to 96fm.ie now have a listen to this so Molly O'Mania listen to that song and then listen to it a second time with the lyrics open in front of me clever tune it's mm-hmm. called it's called Her Song good morning mm-hmm. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Well done. It's 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 a great piece of work. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. It's certainly a certainly summary. Yeah. You describe it as joyful, loud, hopeful and proud, queer as you like, a big gay love song. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of it's kind of does what it says on the tin, really. I think it's uh yeah, it's a it's it's a little monument to a relationship and the, the 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 early part, the excitement and the hope and the and the buzz of that, and uh, it's kind of encapsulates just knocking around Dublin in the sunshine and being in love. 
Yeah, and turning up at the door and wondering will you get invited in and knowing you will and all yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> kind of tentative nerves of it all as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Who, who's involved in it? Because there's a, there's a big group there. Yeah, um, so it's it's the group that I assembled for 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 to record my album last summer, and um, so it consists of my my brother and sister in the band. My brother plays guitar, Fiacra, and my sister sings sings on the record, and then um, my favourite drummer in the country, Shay Sweeney, and um, my old mongoose bandmate Alba Dunn plays bass on it as well. It's produced by Alex, Alex Barrick, um, my producer. Yeah. Now, it's difficult to get for artists, particularly independent artists, it's difficult for them to get themselves playlisted. But you've done that. You've managed to get this song playlisted around the country. That's a big breakthrough. Yeah, well, let's come here. Listen, like the sort of the Irish playlists are always, they're, they're very generous and, um, you know, I think they, yeah, like, like to help their own. So I've gotten a few nice ones around the country, but um, certainly still waiting for Spotify to play, playlist me on, on anything substantial. But that'll come, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's up there in Apple Music and Bandcamp. Bandcamp is great for artists, isn't it? You can get there with a new song and direct people to Bandcamp. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's very, very kind of democratic. You know, you can you can <clears throat> set a price for a track, but then people can kind of choose to pay more if they want to. So it's a, it's a really nice, kind of very direct link between artists and um, consumers of art. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. I really, really, really love Bandcamp as a platform. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, I think a lot of artists do rely on it as a, as a first step before you can get on the on the bigger platforms it's it's all about getting onto the platforms these days to get more streams and more downloads and all that it, the the is the, the the vinyl actually selling physical records is kind of gone isn't it molly molly well i find that people are still people still want to buy them at gigs you know yeah. but it's 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 definitely worth um people like to come home from a gig with something physical to remember it by and um sure vinyl's kind of got a real having a real comeback moment as well it so is i think people are really appreciating the yeah i think the kind of the the fast clickbait sort of music music world that that the internet allows for now i think to sort of push back against that and people want, like the slow experience of you know listening a, listening to a vinyl from yes. start to finish so I'm grateful for that because I'd, I'd certainly be on, in that camp. I like a I like a good slow album, so um, my album will be coming out on vinyl. I was just going to ask, yeah, your your album is out. Uh, is, is it out or coming out? Not quite out. It'll be out October twentieth of this year. Excellent. Okay. And are there are there, are there gigs involved? Are there, are there, can we look forward to some gigs? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, yeah, I'll be touring the album sort of throughout November. Um, so I haven't quite kind of finalised my dates yet, but they'll be they'll be they'll be announced very soon on my social media. Will we see so you in Cork? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, for All sure. Right. All right. Well, good luck with with her song. Good luck with the album, and we look forward to seeing you in Cork when you get here. That's Molly O'Mahony. Uh, and the song is called Her Song. Um, Bandcamp will be the first place to look for it, and it's on other platforms too. Thank you, Molly. Staying with uh, musical items to finish out on Friday and some good news from Anya Duffy. Hi, Anya. Good morning to you. Hi. You've good got, morning. How is you've going? got grants to help with oh, refugee kids. I do. I'm delighted. I think I'm getting there with the paperwork. You don't plan on having as an artist, but you do. <laughs> so um, I'm Delighted. I got a grant from the Cork County Council and the Department of Tourism, Culture, Sport and Arts. Tell us what all this is about and then how you go about getting the grant. Right. 
So it's basically, it's to shorten it, it's the LLPPS, but it's live music performance. And luckily enough, our Arts Council, the County Cork Arts Council are really good. They have put out this, like, you have to, it, it's up to, so we still, it's still to do what we'll say, it's been tricky to get back out there. So we have up to October to put on shows. They used to have the Cork County, the Cocoa Pops, they called it. Mm. So there was pop-up events during the pandemic. And then they've opened it up for round four. So you make a proposal, basically, where you're going to go, how you're going to do it, your insurance, all your bits and bobs and your letters of invitation. And you, you come up with an idea and if you can execute it and it, it looks like it can be feasible, they help you out. So, so, so what is your delighted. idea? My idea is to take the duff box, which is behind me. I'm currently in the car on the way to a show in Clonmel in the van. So it's uh, the converted donkey box to stage I made to, in the pandemic that you could um, go around and play for people, you know, and it was safer. Right. So I have it behind me. I called it the duff box. It's great fun. <laughs> and, um, and it opens down, the back opens down into a stage and then you can put on your shows. And I ha- I did a GoFundMe for a little PA system and 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 I have lights, people donated lights in the whole shebang and it, it's great fun. So I'm going to bring the duff box to the direct provision centres and to a school and pull it down and play for the kids. My show is upbeat, so a lot of people dance. And I discovered more so over the pandemic that the kids love it. Mm. I thought it was, you know, you you your market kind of changed. You you don't you think your market might be a certain age or this, but this stuff box experience has proven that you can be any age to enjoy it. And when I see the kids' little faces, I said this would be great. Yeah, because you know they obviously go through some hard times, and it could be any of us in any country, you know, the way. Have, so, have you a connection this, with the direct provision system yourself? I mean, do you know people in the Well, I do. Um, I do. Well, I, I mean, sometimes. I mean, years ago, I would always, uh, like I knew people from NASC or when I used to put on shows, I used to put them on the guest list. Long time ago when I started out, whoever was around, there was always some lovely people there. They didn't have much money. And um, so I used to put them on the guest list. And then in the pandemic... I had gathered lots of teddy bears of people who I know and people who are into my music. And I made a music, a music video for I'll Wear White. It's one of my songs. And I then got all the teddies and brought them to NASC, who delivered them into the direct provisions during the pandemic. Because, you know, they were all locked in. So they all had loads of teddies that are now in my video. And then I was like, I can do something more. What can I do? And... I decided I'd try and go about this when things are a little less strict now and it's summer, you know. Sure. Did you did you build the duff box yourself? Oh, geez. Well, there was a frame. <laughs> we <laughs> could say the frame was there. You can see it on my Instagram, actually, on your Duffy Music, yeah. A-I-N-E-D-U-F-F-Y-M-U-S-I-C. So it was kind of a frame. I I saw it out in, in a skein and we were in the restriction, so you couldn't go far. Right. So luckily, I was able to get to there and... Uh, I was like, okay, I can make something happen because I also wanted to release that song and I was saying, how am I going to release music with this situation? So I brought home this 
box, <laughs> piece of a box. Frame was lovely, and there was bits there, you know. And I uh, put in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I started. Now I had also built a house, a little small passive home myself in the pandemic. I so knew we talked bits. before. I recognised ah, the yeah, voice. I was wondering if you clicked. I knew we talked before. You, were, yeah, the, yeah, the passive, the passive house, and in the middle of nowhere, exactly. and you weren't telling anybody. And now I knew, I, I knew, I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> So, so there you go. You have me picked. So, so you're so used, you're used to making something out of out of her. This thing sounds oh, yeah. that it sounds like it was one of you know these restoration projects that they do on the late late show. Where you get a few oh yeah, f- yeah. a few sticks and a bit of a spring, and three weeks <laughs> later you have a car. No, <laughs> Jesus, I'm pretty nifty. Like they're slick enough. I mean, this was done before, but by now I'm I, I'm not, you know I'm not a not too shabby on the old tools to be honest with you. So. But this was just little bits. And my cousin gave me a little perspecting. I had, I had timber flooring that my used to be in my friend Dan's house, and you know, and another girl from down from a WhatsApp group gave me a bit of carpet and all this kind of stuff, like so. <laughs> and it's charming. I had a few bits too. <laughs> it's, it's a charming little <laughs> thing. It's great. So, so you're going. You're, where are you to now? You're, where are you headed today? And then where else will you be headed? So. Today, I am doing two performances up at the Clonmel Busking Festival. So I'll be doing an after party because my show is, you know, it's pretty rock and roll meets dance meets, you know, it's I, I keep my own Cork accent, as you can hear. <laughs> and um, we it's fun. It's upbeat. And then I'll do one on the street in Clonmel with the Duff Box today. And then I'll do one in the evening. So I have two gigs today. Excellent. Possibly tomorrow. They're all in Clonmel. Then I do the direct provision gigs and I have Bandon Heritage Town or the the town wall. There's amazing. Actually, Bandon are really kicking up their game and putting on amazing things. The, the walled town festival. There's going to be archery and wood turning and how they made the candles back in the day and forgery and an archaeology, archaeology dig. Be very good. Do you know what so I hear in your voice, this, uh, Anya, is a great... Yeah energy and a great delight to be back. Ah, great. Yeah, I'm excited. I love to try and make things happen. And if I can put a smile on someone's face while I'm doing it, it's good for the soul, as John Spillane says. It's good for the soul. Good for the soul. All right, well, drive safe to Clonmel. Thanks a million. I appreciate the call. Thanks a million. And good luck with everything. And congratulations on managing to secure the... Just how, how much paperwork was involved? You can tell me now. Well, you know... It's not finished. Okay. So, you know, as you go, there's more. Yeah. So, it, I, you know, are you looking at, you're looking at a fair amount, like, but it's not the end of the world. This, yeah. I got it before and I was more stressed out before and now I'm not. Good. Because I have it all. Yeah. I know how to do it. Good. So I think after your first hurdle, you get there and yeah. you kind of, yeah, but it takes a while to get anything. But I, I have to say the Cork County Council are amazing. They Good. ring and you can talk to them if you're going, how oh, do I do this? They say, don't worry. And Good. Yeah, I they, can't say enough about them. They do the heavy lifting for you. Uh, good, yep. good, 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 they, good. All right, congratulations. Just ring them and they'll talk to you. Good, all right. Congratulations, Anya Duffy. I, I knew I knew the boys. And she, we talked last year about this little tiny house that she built and she wouldn't tell me where because she wants to keep it a secret for herself. And I wouldn't blame her. Um, but but she, now she's this Duff Box, which is her performance stage. And she's got a grant from the Live Music Performance Grant Scheme of Cork County Council and the Department of Tourism. And best of luck to her. 
We got this in overnight and I said I'd read it for you and see does that develop over the weekend because you hate to be in this person's position. Uh, we got a message overnight. I'm going to hold on to the name for now. But she says, I have no idea if this is appropriate or not, but I was told chance it anyway. Yesterday evening, around quarter past six, a car crashed into me in the Jack Lynch Tunnel and then tore off up the motorway towards Dublin. I have been in touch with the guards, but they've said to me the cameras on the tunnel aren't good enough to see car registrations, so it's unlikely the driver will be caught. I think it's unfair for me to have to pay for the damage, as I wasn't in the wrong. So I'm hoping someone might have been in the tunnel at the time and seen what happened. And maybe, just maybe, they could have a dash cam. I was driving a silver Audi A4. I'm not too sure if you can do anything with this, if you can post it or air it on a website or whatever you can do with it. But thanks in advance and apologies if this is the wrong avenue to try. It's not. It's not. Who's to know? If you were in the Jack Lynch tunnel around a quarter past six yesterday and you saw a car bang into another car and head off up the motorway, get in touch with us. We'll try and put you in touch with this person. Uh, you can message us over the weekend. Uh, opinion at 96mm.ie. It's a long shot. It could come to nothing. But someone said to her, look, chance it anyway. Yesterday evening, quarter past six, Jack Lynch Tunnel, Audi A4, got a puck of another car which headed off up the Dublin motorway at a rate of knots. The guards said they probably won't be able to, uh, probably won't be able to um, find it because the cameras wouldn't catch the, the registration number. It was Thursday evening. Thursday evening around quarter past six. All right. That's that done. And hopefully, here's hoping. You'd never, ever know. You can never tell what's going to happen. Right. That's it. Have a good weekend. The program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. See you Monday just after nine. You're listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. Hear the full show on our app by podcast or on 96fm.ie.